Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Yes, it is that time once again, my friends, for the Harriet, what is this? What is it called again? Heretic Happy Hour. That's right. The Heretic Heretic Happy Hour Hour podcast. Um, Yeah, it's right there in the song. I don't know. I just had a a blank there for a second. What am I doing? I do too many podcasts. That's my problem. Uh, Hey, it's Keith Giles. I am uh, one of your co-hosts here. Old Man Giles. And um, yes, that's right. I'm Old Man Giles. And um, I'm the author of the uh, Jesus Un series of books each one kind of dealing with different facets of the deconstruction, reconstruction process, including the just recently released Jesus Unarmed, How the Prince of Peace Disarms Our Violence. And uh, I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts here on this episode. We are continuing our series on the pillars of the Christian faith, and we are doing part two on the incarnation because we uh, we didn't finish that yet, but we're gonna. I know we're going to wrap it up in this one. So, uh, co-hosts, introduce yourselves and say hello. I'm Katie Valentine, and I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self Control: An Appalling Community. And Keith, when you said the name of your book, and we're talking about the incarnation, I, all I can picture now is like Jesus without arms. Yes, there is actually a uh, a joke version of the cover that uh, that has <laughs> been created. Of, it's Jesus with no arms. Yes. I must have subliminally seen this, but like it's just yeah. perfect for talking what we're yep. for discussing what we're going to be talking about today. Anyway, I'm Katie Valentine. I'm also the creator of the Metaphysical Christian Community, and um, I've been thinking a lot about incarnation in the past since our last recording. So this will be fun to get into the um, all the nooks and crannies. Hey, y'all! I'm Derek Day, the author of Deconstructing Religion and the author of the Love Minus Religion blog on patheos.com. And I'm also the host of the Forward Podcast, Shameless Plug. And I'm really excited about this culmination of the incarnation. So let's culminate with the incarnation. And I am Matthew DiStefano, and I have a very exciting announcement for those who listen to or listened past tense to my other podcast, the Apostates Anonymous podcast. I am bringing on someone that no one has heard of, but I like the guy anyway, Mr. Keith Giles. Mm. Welcome to my other show. So uh, if, if you've... Uh, I guess, yeah, thank you, Katie. Brilliant. Keith is going to be a co-host of my little, my little shitty show. And I'm excited to make that announcement. It's not Wait as good minute, as Harry Don't that's don't That's a big deal because Keith Giles is white famous. Yes, <laughs> I am white, white famous. White, explain white famous, Derek. <laughs> oh, you know the difference between black famous and you know, like you know, Bernie Mac is black famous. That's All true. black people know Bernie Mac, right? That's you yes. know, there's a yes. few white people that know Bernie Mac. That they enlightened ones, but you know, but everybody knows Chris Rock. Everybody knows J- Dave Chappelle. That's see, right. those guys, they're, they're, they're white famous. They're white famous. Keith, Keith Giles is white famous. <laughs> oh my God. Go. <laughs> I had my microphone on mute, was taking a sip of tea, which is now like all over my table. <laughs> right when Derek says that. <laughs> well, we hope, we, we hope you didn't fry your system, Katie. We'll see. It's it's incarnated too. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm very I'm very excited to uh, to join Matt on his uh, on his podcast, Apostles Anonymous, and um, looking forward to that. Apostles, <laughs> we're changing the name, huh? All That's right, what it's perfect. called right Apostles. Wait a minute, something it's something like that. It's apost apostates anonymous, dumbass. Why weren't Katie and I invited to this party? Uh, 
That's already on this book. We already have a podcast with you guys. I'll tell you, tell you why, Derek. Because of Valentine's Day, and um, I just, well, you guys have VD and we have AA. It's, <laughs> ooh, ooh, that's reasonable. Ooh. And AA. There you go. The spinoffs. Derek, you have an announcement for us, my friend. I do indeed, because if you want to get in touch with these fine heretics, you can do so by exercising finger dexterity and dialing 240-343-7379. Once again, that's 240-343-7379. And we have a message from the Heresy After Hours Facebook group. And it goes like this. So, I guess Mary is depicted as having a choice, especially in comparison to other mythological stories about gods impregnating human women. But every time I hear that point made, I think, did she really, though? I feel like there were people in the Old Testament who God said things to who tried to refuse, e.g. Jonah, and it did not go over well. So while I like the idea that she had a choice, I'm not 100% sure that fits with what she would have known about God herself from the stories of what is now the Old Testament. And number two, part two, this is a two-part question. Keith's suggestion that Mary could have been raped by a Roman soldier. Ooh, trigger alert. Uh, sorry, I should have said that at first. Uh, um, I keep that possibility under your hat. I feel like any suggestion that you are raped, but God intends it for good in the current U.S. context would be quick, very quickly weaponized to tell the victims of rape that they should not have an abortion. And this is from our pal, Lori Bennett. So, Lori, thank you for that wonderful question in two parts. Two parts. So let's take part one. Great observation about whether or not Mary really had a choice. I mean, the way the story is presented in the gospel, she is given the choice. And so it does, it does appear that the gospel authors, uh, want us to come away with the idea that it was totally by consent. But it's a good point that in that sort of context, you know, when an angel appears to you in your room and, uh, says, Hey, the most high, has chosen you for something, do you really have the idea that you could say, no, not really? So that's a good point. Uh, what do you guys think? Age of consent. Age of consent. <laughs> well, we don't even know how old she was. Uh, well, you know, we, we, we know sort of historically that she was somewhere between 13 and 17. And so do we think the age of consent is 13? I don't know. That I'm not even sure we're clear on what the age of consent even is. I don't know. I mean, and, and does it we, apply to girls or is it only for no, boys? I, mean, I don't know. Because, you know, you have the bar mitzvah, but you also have the bat mitzvah. That's okay. Yeah. Katie, what do you think about this? Yeah. So I, th I think it's a, I think it's a good question. I'm really glad that this, that this topic came up because I think I was the one talking about the agency of Mary. So the story is kind of an idealized story, I think, in... Um, in the gospel. So I'm just, I'm looking it up, Luke 1, uh, verse 30. And the angel just kind of flat out tells her, like, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. Now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. So it seems like it's something that is going to be in the future. I haven't looked at the Greek in a long time because we're surprise, uh, surprise hotline, right? So I uh, haven't had time to do that. Wasn't was was Mary's response, be it unto me according to your word? Yeah. And so she, uh, very King Jamesy of you here. Yeah. So Mary asks, like, how can this be since I'm a virgin? There's more explanation. Uh, Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. So that I think that can imply consent. Even if it doesn't imply consent, 
Mary chose to have the child. She there are a number of ways to have abortions in the ancient world. True. Yep, she that Mary yeah. didn't have. So there is consent at some level. Yeah. However, I think that that's not quite. I don't think it's a wrong question. I think where I kind of come in with this is using midrash. So using the kind of Jewish interpretive lens of reading between the lines. And when we don't have full answers to a question, which we don't to this one, um, we create the stories that help tell the answers. And so in that, that story has been throughout most of Christian history that Mary does give consent, that she does have agency. And I find that to be personally a more powerful kind of experience of Mary um, than one where she doesn't have agency. But that's not to say that I think the question is not worthwhile. Cause like, as, um, as Lori pointed out, there's tons of stories in the ancient world about women who, who don't have consent. I mean, they didn't have the idea of consent in the ancient world. So rather than consent, I think I'm speaking more of agency. Because mm-hmm. the idea of consent is a very 20th century. That's true. But, you know, there also is, I mean, it is kind of problematic though, right? In the sense of like, when when someone has power over another person, a boss to an employee, a teacher to a student, um, you know, any kind of, anytime there's this power uh, dynamic going on, and one person makes a sexual advance to the to the one in power makes a sexual advance to the one beneath the one in power. It, there is sort of the question of well, is this really consensual, right? Like, and 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 if you're dealing with God and this little peasant girl, like, I get what you're saying, and and, and I'm not saying it's not true, but at the same time, when you go and look at cases where there have been sexual uh, misconduct, sexual harassment, those kind of things, it's typically from that position of someone in authority over another person who's beneath them in authority. And so, whereas, yes, in, in the Gospels, like you said, Mary does consent, she does have the agency. The question is a good question, because I think it does, it, at least it does, like, as I'm thinking about it, create some troubling situations where, yeah, but she's a little teenage girl, and would she say no to God? Would she even say no to, like, a man? You know what I mean? Like, if he had authority over her. Like, I don't know. That's it's a very, very good question. One one of the things that I, I look at that's kind of problematic for me is that she was betrothed to Joseph. So that means technically, and I hate to say this, I'm, my my female friends, please forgive me, but she was property of Joseph, right? So so could that out? Could she actually give consent when she was not actually? in control of her own body. That's one. And the second one is I have trouble with the, with, with the whole idea of the, the whole, the whole divine aspect of it. I mean, it's like God tells us don't covet another man's wife, but Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And so God is coveting Mary. And so it's a couple of troubling things for me. Yeah, I mean, for me, I just um, I, I see this as, and this is this is more my historical ha- approach to it, of people looking back to try to explain how Jesus is who they say he is, and so that's why we get these kind of stories. Like, I think all of us are probably, well, I don't want to speak for for you all, but based on our conversations in the past and on, on the most recent episodes, like we don't, we don't see this as 
like the biological questions of, of sex and spermatozoa and procreation is not the most interesting questions. And so for me, it's like, I don't, however it reads, it reads like anyone who uses it to, to, you know, getting to the second point of Lori's, you know, text, anyone who reads this and beats other people over the head with it is always an error. And so if you're going to use, if you're going to use, uh, you know, that kind of literalist approach to do that, then I think you're, you know, you're kind of out of turn. And I, I don't see this as personally that God did anything. I think it's a way to explain why Jesus is some sort of divine in nature. But again, you know, going to the incarnation conversations we've been having, what difference is that from us? I don't see any. I don't see any difference between Jesus and, and us any any longer. So I, I don't have that issue where I have to explain, well, how did God, you know, get someone pregnant? I don't think Mary was literally a virgin. Yeah, but the the story is also, I agree. I mean, I do agree with all that. My historical critical brain is like, yeah, yeah, the story is explaining something. But also there's like women find power in female characters with the story. And there's so few, you know, we can like name them all. And so like Mary is is a really big one for that. Um, and so kind of in respect to Derek's point, which I, I really appreciate, um, I wouldn't use the word property um, necessarily. I don't, a lot of scholars are divided on whether to use that word for uh, like marital relationships or not. But the thing is that doesn't come up in the story. So like whatever obligations Mary had to Joseph, and certainly the ancient world would have seen her sexuality as either being um, guarded by her father or by Joseph. But the story's like, yeah, fuck that. We don't even care. The story is like not at all concerned with that. And neither is Mary. Right. Mary's just like, what, you know, like, like let it be to me according to your will. Like, I'm like, I, I imagine she might've been like nine more months of freedom. <laughs> more months before I have to have to find out what that's all about. Yeah, that's right. That is a fascinating point, and and uh, this is a great topic. But there is a second part to the question, and, and I want to get to that because we have so much more show to get to. Um, and so that was um, my suggestion uh, that, according to the question, that Mary could have been raped by a Roman soldier. And I just want to say that that wasn't my suggestion. I didn't invent that. That may be the first time any of you have heard of it before, or at least um, Lori has heard of it before, was, was when I said that. But um, I didn't invent that. That's that's something kind of a legend that's been going on or, or you know, a theory that has been floating around for quite a while. And I just threw it out there just for a discussion point to say, you know, is it possible? Now, I understand the question is also saying, you know, that it's kind of dangerous because it's sort of like saying, well, hey, if you were raped, that's okay. It's a good thing. Um, but uh, at the same time, no evangelical Christian is going to say, hey, you were raped just like, you know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, because they would never be open to that idea in the first place. So I understand that, yes, they're kind of being a problematic idea that could lead to some bad, um, you know, um, alternatives or, you know, um, what's the word? You know, you can sort of like um, generalize some things. And I would agree with that. Uh, but again, I didn't bring it up for that reason. And I don't, I think most, most evangelical Christians wouldn't even entertain that possibility at all. I just have one follow-up question. Why didn't Joseph invoke the numbers chapter five magic potion? Fascinating. 
Yes, because there is a, there is a potion. There's a, uh, there's a prerogative there, right? That if you suspect your wife has been uh, cheating on you and she's pregnant and it's not yours, make her drink this special drink that will abort the child. Uh, yeah, Joseph not- had that question. That was a concern. Well, I, apparently, according to the story, right, he doesn't because the angel appears to him in a dream too and says, uh, hey, Joe, relax. This is, all, this is all good. Yeah, but only in the Gospel of Matthew. That's true. Ma- Matthew is Joseph's story. Luke is Mary's story. Yeah. Uh, so in Luke, we don't know. In Luke, we really don't know. See, this is what's fascinating, too, about the fact just in general that we have four Gospels. Like, the fact that we have four of them, you know, we, 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 we do this back and forth harmonization kind of thing. But, like, what if we only had Mark? What if we only had Luke? Like, then we wouldn't have any of this stuff, right? We'd, have, we'd be left going, yeah. We would not have a December 25th off. That's true. <laughs> and I really value having that day off. So <laughs> I'm really glad, yes, we get this week off. Thanks, thank you for pointing out what's really important in the story, Katie. <laughs> and like presents, you know, there's presents also. And the Christmas um, tree, yes. But, but yeah, no, Lori, to your point, yeah, the weaponization of women's bodies in all ages and all circumstances was like very worth noting. Um, but apparently, I don't know much about this legend, but apparently it was also an anti-Christian slur in the second century. Yes. It was a way to sort of try to discredit Jesus. And so there's right. also like some empowerment that can happen. Well, no, like children born of rape aren't, there's no reason to have slur, slurs against them. There's no reason to stigmatize. Yeah. Isn't there a suggestion that there's a hint of this even in the Gospels themselves? And it might be, I think it might even be in the Gospel of Luke, where in one of the encounters with the Pharisees, the Pharisees make a statement to Jesus, we know who our father is. Mm. And it almost comes across like, and you yes, don't. That, I, I've, heard, I've heard that aspect yes. of it. Yeah, I remember even reading it myself. I reading it, I'm like, Whoa, that seemed almost like a little veiled uh, yeah. dig at his questionable that's parentage. That's highly accusatory. So uh, maybe that's where it started too. More fascinating conversation. This was a great topic. And uh, thanks to Lori for um, allowing us to share that. So we did get Lori's consent, as long as we're talking about consent and words and uh, the power of female voices. And she posted this in Heresy After Hours, which is our free Facebook group. So I encourage everyone, if you're listening and you're not a member of that group, to come on over because there's a whole thread of comments underneath this one, and you can participate in that. Um, so with that, we're going to make a, a quick transition. We have a really fun, cool, special heretic of the week. Do not fast forward. You, will, you do not want to miss this. You are going to be glad that you heard this interview because coming up, we have the world's most famous beet farmer coming to speak to you. It's the heretic of the week. Hello, I am assistant to the regional heretic, Rain Wilson. Hi. <laughs> That's really creepy. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Rain, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for uh, giving us your time. Um, it is surreal to have someone introduce themselves as the uh, assistant to the regional heretic. So welcome. Question one, why are you the assistant to the regional heretic? Well, um, yeah, so listen, uh, I, I love what you guys are doing with the podcast and kind of ripping things apart and exploring Christianity and what it means to you individually and, you know, questioning everything about it. And I guess, you know, why in all seriousness, like, why would I be considered a heretic? Well, in a couple of ways. So in two ways that I can think of. One is I'm a active member of the Baha'i faith. So Baha'is have different take that some most Christians would call a heretical take 
on the Bible and the station of Jesus. Although Jesus is certainly revered in his uh, magnificence and divinity and his service to the poor and his, his being an exemplar of the faith of his father, there are some differences in the, in the ways the Baha'is view the Bible and Jesus that would be considered heretical. On the other hand, from a secular, liberal, kind of blue state, uh, big city kind of vibe, the fact that I'm religious, believe in God, believe in morality, and you know, see the world through a spiritual lens, but not just not in some kind of like new agey kind of airy fairy way, but a very specific kind of uh, systematized religious and spiritual lens makes me a heretic to, um, you know, to, to, to that uh, group of people, that secular folk. So I'm, I'm a double heretic. Yeah. So you alluded to, I think, um, that in Baha'i, you have slightly different views of Jesus in the Bible than than Christians would be comfortable with. Can you get into some details on like what what are those views? And just because I, I have no idea, and I think most of us probably have no idea exactly what that is. Yeah, sure. Um, so in the Baha'i faith, we believe much as Christians do that there is one God, and we're we're definitely monotheists. But we have a different. Well, there's a there's a t- main principle teaching called progressive revelation, and that is that. This God, this all-powerful, kind of all-seeing, kind of unknowable essence, he's called in the Baha'i faith, educates humanity by sending down divine teachers every millennia or so, every 500,000 years or so. And that this is a gradually updated you could, I guess you could call it like an operating system yeah. uh, for a computer, but for, <laughs> for humanity's uh, spiritual education. So these teachers go from like Krishna, Abraham, Moses, the Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and now the most recent of these divine teachers that Baha'is follow, Baha'u'llah, whose name means the glory of God. So we view Jesus as one in a long line of spiritual and holy teachers. So when Jesus said, I am the son of God, that's true. Metaphorically, not literally with spermatozoa, you know, son of God, but metaphorically son of God. And then when Jesus says, I am the way and the light and the truth, and there's no way to the Father except through me, he's right. For that time and place, year zero in Palestine, for people searching for the truth, Jesus was the way and the light and the truth, and there's no way to the Father except through him. So, and when Jesus talks about, I shall, I have more to reveal to you, but you're not ready for it yet, and I will come back again. And when he says, I will appear like a thief in the night, like some of these really refer to uh, Muhammad and Baha'u'llah as the return of the spirit of Jesus Christ, but not actually the body of Jesus on a cloud with trumpets coming down for all the world to see, which defies physics. Wait, that's not going to happen? I'm so confused right now. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. There's no way. If the world is round, ra- unless you're a flat earther, I right. think that's why the flat earthers really believe in the flat earth is that then everyone on the earth can see Jesus when he comes down. Because uh, otherwise, yeah. if he comes down over Australia, no one, you know, in you're Mongolia kind of can see you're, him. Yeah. You're so speaking our language because we did a whole episode on the on flat earth. So this is like full yeah. circle. Completely. <laughs> yes. completely. So I live I lived in uh, Evanston, Illinois for two years of my life, and I used to go and I would take visitors to the Baha'i Temple 
um, a few subdivisions north of that, which is always just like a wonderful, wonderful experience, a very welcoming and uh, peaceful setting. Um, and I think I read that like the Baha'i, devout Baha'i people have, um, practitioners have like prayers that you say every day. I, like, can you kind of enlighten us? Like, what do what would rituals look like? Is there worship? What what's the daily life of someone who's a practicing Baha'i? Yeah, great question. I mean, there's that's a very long discussion, but I'll do the super nutshell version, which is Baha'is pray, meditate every day. We read the holy writings of uh, Baha'u'llah, the the prophet founder, the return of the spirit of Jesus Christ, the the Prince of Peace, who has been sent to kind of unify and enlighten humanity in this new stage of its kind of maturity, global maturity. And um, uh, and there are daily prayers that Baha'is say. There's a very simple, short, called a daily obligatory prayer that Baha'is say every single day. Baha'is have a fasting period similar to Ramadan. And there's, you know, gatherings. We don't have churches. We don't have clergy in the Baha'i faith. So this is a little different than Christianity too. Okay. So it's a little bit more like a 12 step meeting. It's kind of like the, <laughs> the, the inmates are running the asylum a little bit. You know, there's, <laughs> a 12 step meeting. it's uh, elected leaders and service, uh, components and, and stuff like that. So there's no priests or mullahs or gurus or rabbis or, uh, anything like that. So, uh, yeah, there's more to it than that, but the Baha'is meet in each other's homes every 19 days, and there's whole Baha'i holy days as well. So this is what it means to be a Baha'i, but Baha'is try and love everyone and serve the world, you know, and be of service, just like our example of uh, His Holiness Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and His Holiness the Dalai Lama. No, a little different. Dalai Lama, we don't believe, is a is a prophet of God, but anyway. So, but he still uh, does. He still does good work. Yeah, yeah. but he's, he's a good guy. He's, he's doing the work. He's doing yeah. the work. So, uh, Rain, I have a I have a question um, about this. So, did, were you born into Baha'i? Is it something your family discovered? You know, later on as you were growing up, have you always been Baha'i? Like, I'm just curious. Your you know, have you you know your experience with the faith? Yeah. Um, so, I was born and raised as a Baha'i. I was born in the late '60s in Seattle. My parents became Baha'is kind of when everyone was exploring new spiritual paths, right? And there was that big spiritual explosion from, you know, 1968 to 1975, let's say, where Cat Stevens became a Muslim and the Beatles visited the Maharishi and, and, you know, Godspell happened and a lot of people were brought back into the church in a new way during that time as well. People don't really realize it was kind of a, uh, a new rebirth in the in the in the Christian Church, and there was Thomas Merton and kind of rebirth of kind of like Catholic Workers Party kind of stuff. So I grew up in the Baha'i faith, and then basically, like so many people do, I was 20 years old. I moved to New York to be an actor. And I was like, "Fuck that! I don't want morality. <laughs> I don't want the faith of my parents. I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want to do. I want to party and make art and hang out. You know, where the Velvet Underground used to hang out and um, go be an artist. And so I rejected my faith and really all faith, uh, for a good 12 years and then slowly came back to it in my kind of mid thirties. And then, yeah. Okay. So one, one question I have is, um, in Baha'i, is there a need to proselytize, convert or share 
uh, with others about the faith? You know, is, is that like a, a command for your daily living? Yeah. And then it is. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll jump in that and then I, you've got a follow-up. So Baha'is are called upon to, in a, in a certain way, evangelize because we want to let people know that Baha'u'llah has come and let people know about his incredible writings and life and teachings and mystical beauty and whatnot. So Baha'is do talk about their faith, but Baha'is are not, are forbidden to proselytize. So that's where it gets a little weird. That's like a commandment. Like, so we're encouraged to teach, but not to proselytize. So that's a weird, you know, what does that mean? You know, I guess it means that if anyone shows the slightest disinterest or uh, is just doesn't want to engage, then we just completely back off. So you won't see Baha'is knocking on doors and you know, trying to, you know, get converts, but we welcome people to explore the faith and become Baha'is if they want to. Hell, you guys would, be, you guys would make some excellent Baha'is. Come on, come on over. <laughs> Is there room for a new podcast about heresy of Baha'i? Yeah, we can Baha'i Heretics podcast. <laughs> that, that, would, that would be a little trickier, but you know, it could be done. Well, Rain, I, I, as a longtime fan of The Office, I'm curious and, and knowing that you're a spiritual guy has uh, these wonderful podcasts. Is there any like subtle spirituality lessons that may have been accidental in the writing of the office or anything that the viewers might not have picked up on, except for maybe, you know, it was pretty obvious Angela's arc and her very fundamentalist beginnings towards sort of a uh, spoiler alert, um, kind of a, her life falling apart. But is there anything else that, um, I don't know if the writers were spiritual per se, but that that is more subtle in in the office. So, a good question. Uh, uh, no, the 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 writers' room was good, half Jewish at least. I'm, I'm thinking right now. Um, <laughs> no, but yes and no. I mean, I think oddly enough, spirituality, religion stuff wasn't really dealt with at all in the office. But oddly enough, the office kind of became a spiritual show. Isn't that kind of weird? Like people, it warms people's hearts. There's something about the connection, about the unity amidst dysfunction. Right. But there's great love there <laughs> and connection. And, and, th- and that allows the audience to connect with the cast of The Office because Office fans always say like it, it soothes my anxiety and I, it's like the family I never had and h- how much joy it, and solace it brought them. So... There is a spiritual component in in that sense too. Plus, it would be good to know that a lot of you know John Krasinski, Steve Carell, Jenna Fisher, Angela—they're all devout Christians and churchgoers. And people think of like everyone, you know, doing cocaine and worshiping Satan, <laughs> and in some cases, sacrificing babies and whatnot uh, in the Hollywood Hills. I don't know how they haven't. No one's found that out yet, but but very devout uh, cast by and large that has a great respect for faith. Well, I, lo- I love that you touched on it. I mean, it's like, to me, th- there's no difference between spirituality and being human. And the show is just such a human show that, of course, mm. it might not be intentional, but it's going to come through on the screen. Mm. Mm. Well said, yeah. So I've got to ask you, Rain, about your, your famous tweet. Uh, almost two years ago, you tweeted this. You said, the metamorphosis of Jesus Christ from a humble servant of the abject poor to a symbol that stands for gun rights, prosperity, theology, anti-science, limited government that, that neglects the destitute, and fierce nationalism is truly the strangest transformation in human history. That really, I, 
I, I can't tell you how much that tweet actually means to me. And it's funny because I'm just finding out that you're the origin of it. Yeah, I tweeted that. And it's it really um, it makes me really sad. You know, it makes me really, truly sad because if people would just read the goddamn Bible, you see story after story after story of what? Of humility, yes. of service, of love, of kindness, of forgiveness, you know, just tenderness and kindness time and time again. And then I don't know how he got co-opted. I, I don't know. It's it's the biggest con in the history of humanity that he got co-opted in this way. I guess you could say the same thing about Islam, where yep. such a large, you know, large, not all, most Muslims are peace-loving. You know, most Christians are peace-loving, Jesus-loving family people that are good people, you know? This isn't like all, all uh, Jesus lovers, but the same thing happens in Islam. Humanity corrupts that essential message, and it's it's really sad. And now we can add vaccines to it because now it's like, I think I was reading, you know, this evangelical anti-vaccine plays into this anti-science and it's, and it's all become just, it's all become partisan, you know, really it's, it's just, it's such toxic partisanship that if you believe in Jesus, you don't get a vaccine. Like, I don't know where it says that in the Bible. So it's the danger when we create God in our own image. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Instead of the other way around. But what I love about the tweet, Rain, is that, first of all, it's just so true. And I think all of us resonate when we read uh, a statement like that. We're all like, yes, amen. But the great thing is to hear it coming from someone kind of unexpected like you, like Rain Wilson said that? Like, wow, I, I totally did unexpected, you know, to hear it coming from you, not knowing probably about you and your background and all that. But it's still just powerful to hear someone say what we've all been thinking and to say it so, you know, just clearly and powerfully and and thank you. I just I just want to say thank you for the tweet. And we should probably make a T-shirt that says, "If people would just read the goddamn Bible with you," because <laughs> that that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm one of the woo woo kind of components of the podcast. Eric and I love to go into um, like quantum physics and spirituality. And you have a podcast that the title is just so intriguing, a Metaphysical Milkshake. So Kim, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about the podcast and the kinds of topics you explore. I've, I've of course been listening to it. Um, and like, what, what does metaphysics mean to you and maybe in the context of your spirituality? Yeah. Um, metaphysics. So I started this uh, digital media company called Soul Pancake a long time ago, about 12 years ago. And we did a bunch of stuff for Oprah. We had a very successful YouTube channel. We did the Kid President videos and My Last Days and a lot of viral videos. And my talk show was in the back of a van and I called it Metaphysical Milkshake. I just, I don't know why I love the ring of it. I mean, we're not, yeah, I mean, when, I, when I'm using the word metaphysical, I'm using kind of the other definition of it, which is just anything that's beyond the physical. You know, just anything that provides kind of a philosophical or spiritual conjecture to it. So uh, Metaphysical Milkshake has segued into a podcast that I do with the great theologian, historian, provocateur Reza Aslan, who was a born-again Christian turned Muslim and uh, Sufi, really Sufi Muslim, a mystic side of of. Islam. And uh, yeah, we talk about life's big questions. We try and get really cool authors and thinkers. And we've had Rob Bell. He did a two-part episode about, and we really tried to pin Rob Bell down, like, 
Rob. Yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> when do you try and meet, when do you meet Jesus? <laughs> yeah. You get hit by a bus. Talk me through what happens when, till, from that moment when you die until you meet Jesus. How does that work? And he kind of would kind of skirt around like, no, 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 no. But when do you meet Jesus? How does that work? So it was very fun. It was all in, in good fun. And we've had uh, Pete Holmes and a number of other great, uh, uh, Mayim Bialik talked about, you know, is religion relevant from a, from a Jewish perspective? So it's, it's been, um, well, we get into all kinds of UFOs. We get into all kinds of different topics. Very cool. So yeah, the part I'm just loving about this is that it just dovetailing from our earlier conversation, even about portrait of something like an office in the United States and that the metaphysical meets the physical in these profound ways, right? It's expressed um, in our humanity. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm enjoying. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a really incredibly diverse body of work. I mean, everything from, you know, from comedy to drama and even uh, voicing Lex Luthor in the DC animated universe, which is really, really cool. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and what I want to know is how does your faith inform or influence your art? Uh, great question, Derek. So when I left the Baha'i faith, I then found myself very unhappy. And I thought, you know, maybe I threw the baby out with the bathwater when I jettisoned anything and everything having to do with spirituality. And I started to read the religious books of the world. I actually read the Bible. And I started rereading the Baha'i, or reading for the first time, really, the Baha'i literature. And I really came across a series of writings that were, that blew my mind. Because I was an actor at the time. I was doing theater in New York. I was soon to move to LA and start to do TV and film. And I saw all these writings in the Baha'i faith about how art is prayer. Art is worship. Abdul Baha, the son of Baha'u'llah says, I rejoice to hear that thou hast taken great pains with thine art for in this most glorious day, the, uh, the making of art is the same as if you were kneeling in the temple. So there's something about, and I just loved that idea that when you're making art, you're expressing your creativity. You're, you know, one of the titles of God is the fashioner. Like you're fashioning something. There was nothing. There was a blank slate of the universe. And then there was, uh, seconds later, there was, you know, an amoeba of gases and energy. And then there was, you know, ga- trillions, billions of galaxies. Like, and you do the same thing. Um, when you make art, that you're making something beautiful where there was nothing there before. And also art is service and service is the highest form of worship in the Baha'i faith, being of service to others. So as weird as it sounds, playing Dwight in a weird way, <laughs> playing like the most annoying, nerdy, unspiritual, uh, unsoulful guy in the universe was kind of an act of, of worship. So it's 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 almost like a Genesis moment where you create a word, uh, create a world with your words, like in the beginning. Exactly, Derek. Exactly. It's like you got a blank sheet of paper, and then you create a poem on that, or you draw a picture, or there's a blank stage, and you create a dance on that, or a piece of theater. Like that is your 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 own Genesis. We're reflecting the miracle of of God's power and wonder. That's totally dope, man. Totally. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Totally dope. <laughs> so you you alluded a little bit there to like uh, there was a time so you're born in Baha'i there was a time though when you say you left the faith and then you came back so can you talk a little bit about like 
why you left and what really like what drove you back and you know w- were there some things you were doubting about the faith itself was it just your wanting to kind of get away from your parents and be your own guy and you know sow your wild oats or like what, what was the story there about why you left and why you came back yeah it, I, I wrote a book called sorry to do this shameless plug but i wrote a book called the bassoon king which was um a comedic memoir of my life and i go into this kind of spiritual journey in the midst of that book but Basically, when I look back on it now, I realize that much like the young people are having today in this day and age, you know, that the Surgeon General just came out with a huge statement yesterday about the mental health epidemic in young people. And I had a mental health epidemic of my own, you know, in my 20s. And it's a big topic, you know, I was, but I, I suffered from depression. I had anxiety attacks. I was dealing with addiction issues. And even though I, got my degree from NYU. I had an agent. I was being an actor. I was working with great directors in the theater. I wasn't making a whole lot of money, but I was, this was my dream come true. And yet I was the most unhappy I'd ever been. So that's kind of when I was like, I think I need to investigate the spiritual piece in this. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that what I need, I'm guessing, you know, what they say in 12 steps is I had a God shaped hole. And, um, so that's kind of what started me on that, on the journey. Well, Rain, um, I know you've done some shameless plugs already, and that's totally fine here. That's what we're here for. We know that you're on this show just to boost your own numbers, right? Um, but, <laughs> but for anyone, you know what? The 473 listeners that you guys have, if they could, hey. you know, if even half hey. of them could go listen to Metaphysical Milkshake. That, that's exactly right. And 400 <laughs> My is generous. Is Come on. <laughs> for anyone, I, I know our, our listeners, all 20 of them will be interested in, in what you have been saying. Is there a great like introductory book for uh, uh, Introduction to Baha'i that you would recommend? Or maybe a couple? Oh, boy. You know, I need to write one. People always ask, is there a great introductory book? And um, there's not really. If you're, if you're into kind of mystical aspects of spirituality, there's a, there's a book called The Hidden Words by Baha'u'llah that are these beautiful kind of spiritual koans. And that's a really great place to start. Uh, There's another one called God Speaks Again by Ken Bowers. That's just an introductory book, but it's a little dry. It's a little, it's a little dry if you ask me. Um, But, you know, Baha'i.org is a great place to start. You know, they uh, that's the official Baha'i website. There's, they did a beautiful job on the website and there's a lot of pages and great stuff to read and quotes and, and stories and whatnot. Yeah, so along those lines, I guess a, like a follow-up to that I'm curious about would be like, so let's say someone listening to you on this podcast, you know, that my mom and a couple of her friends decide, hey, this Baha'i thing sounds great. Can someone just like Google Baha'i like and go find one in their city and go like join yeah. a, a congregation there? Is it, it is there some hoops to jump through? Like, well, what's what does it look like to join Baha'i? <laughs> it's funny because when my dad wanted to become a Baha'i in the mid 60s, he had heard about it from a guy and then he got a book from the library and he studied it a little bit. And he was like, I totally buy this. I don't know why he just was like, I'm in. <laughs> and he went to the Seattle Baha'i community in like 1964 and was like, I want to become a Baha'i. And they're like, hold on a second there, hombre. Slow your roll, buddy. You know, you got to, what have you read? Oh, you haven't read that? No, 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 no. Slow down. Like, here's some books. Read these books. They said, by the way, it's the Baha'i fast now. So we're in the period of fasting. So my dad just stopped eating. He didn't know that it was (laughs) fasting 
like Ramadan during the daylight hours. Oh, oh, he no. thought it was just, <laughs> yeah. And then he read all the books and then his fast only lasted a couple of days and then he ate a Snickers bar. But, uh, <laughs> and he went back in and like said, I've read the books and I still believe and I want to be Baha'i. But now, no, you can just become a Baha'i. You can just, yeah, there's, you can sign up online or you can call the local Baha'is in your community or, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful- You don't have to, you don't have to say ma- any magic prayers or anything, right? No magic prayers. No, into sacrifice. No, yeah. you just, <laughs> the only thing to be a Baha'i is to recognize that Baha'u'llah is the most recent in this long line of divine teachers. And if you, if you believe that and you read the writings of Baha'u'llah and you, and you dig on them, then, then that's it. But, you know, more importantly than that is like, listen, you heretics, us Baha'is, atheists, agnostics, everyone, you know, we, we all, we wouldn't be having this conversation if we didn't believe that there is a spiritual component to being a human being. And a big part of that spiritual component is creating light, life, love, tenderness, compassion, service to others in the example of Jesus Christ. And the most important thing is that we just all work together to try and make the world a better place. So regardless of what, what card you have signed. That's it right there. That's, yeah, that's, that's the nugget right we there. Well, Rain, this is, uh, yeah, we want to respect your time. So we'll let you go, but this has been lovely. If you ever write that book, I have it on good authority that you have a publisher. So, um, yes, Yep. You can get, he'll get it out to all 200 of our listeners and you'll be set. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I know, I know. The, the assistant regional manager's guide to the Baha'i faith. <laughs> <laughs> assistant to the regional Baha'i. Yes. <laughs> can we give a shout out to all the uh, late 90s listeners? I do love your uh, one episode arc in Charmed. Oh, ouch. So you play a demon, the- so... Worst acting I've ever done in my life. Here <laughs> <laughs> can the demon alchemist. Yep. You know, go, go, going back to metaphysics, night and day. There we go. Uh, yeah. I actually enjoyed that one too, Katie. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. let talk about Derek. Awesome. You know, I, so you know, I, I, unfortunately, my, uh, my, my wife's a charm, a charm fan, so I, I, I spend a lot of time inadvertently watching it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so yeah. sorry for you all. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Much love. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Rain. Wow. I can't believe that really happened. Did that really happen? I thought maybe I dreamed. I woke up the next day and I'm like, did that happen? Yes, I think it, it that was amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah, I picked up my cigarette habit all over again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, about, I'm about to. <laughs> oh, man. Rain was such a thoughtful guest. Like, I thought I knew he would be thoughtful, but then I was so impressed at how thoughtful and um, eloquent he actually is. Yeah. That's the brilliance of a good actor is that when you watch Dwight, I mean, you must, you must watch that and say, okay, this, the person behind Dwight must be, you know, really thoughtful and smart because I think it takes a, a certain level of genius to play a character like that. But just on the surface, I mean, like Rain and Dwight are polar opposites, which, which is yeah. a testament to Rain's ability to act. It's funny, I'll, I'll just, a little office nerd them. Uh, John Krasinski actually um, tried out to, to be Dwight. And, oh, how and, funny. And Rain tried out to be Michael Scott. Oh, that's hilarious. I think originally, wow. yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Well, I was, I, I don't think I gave a shout out to um, his role in Mom as the therapist in Mom, which is a show that I, was a pandemic show for me that I watched, that I binged. 
uh, in the early days of the pandemic, and he's really funny in that too. What was his character like in that? Um, he's a he's a um, kind of sharp, a little bit caustic therapist who takes on Bonnie, who's played by um, the great actress from The West Wing. Oh, her. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm really bad. Allison Janney, uh, played by Allison Janney. <laughs> um, so the whole show is about like a mother daughter who are um, recovering alcoholics. And so she's finally going to therapy to get assistance for why she drank so heavily for so many years. He actually hated the uh, the character that he played in Charmed of the Demon. But I know, I'm I so sad about that. that was, it was actually funny. <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> I, that's a pretty I mean, good he has, episode. He has tremendous range. That's the, you know, yes. that's the story of, of Dwight. But a really thoughtful, really, I, I was really impressed with his depth of thought regarding spiritual matters and, and how to practically apply it to day-to-day living. So Dwight, my hat's off to you, man. You thoroughly bless me. That was really great. And we're just we're just happy to finally like kick your career off now that you've come on our show. I Things think it's gonna help him. I think it's gonna start help falling him. into place for you. Yeah, people are gonna start, you know, figuring out who this guy is. They're gonna maybe listen to his podcast and I think it's gonna be great for him. So maybe he'll come on our live show once this pandemic nonsense is done. Yeah, that could help him too. If we're down really in Southern us. California. Oh that would be phenomenal. Hey, so speaking of incarnation um, <laughs> let's take a left turn. Here we go. <laughs> how do we how do we finish off uh, this topic that we got kind of got started with, but we didn't quite finish it? There was some technical stuff about the incarnation that we didn't dive into. The fact that you know throughout Christian history, not everyone has bought into this sort of idea of the incarnation that we have uh, we've landed with now. You know, two thousand years later. So there were some other other views and other beliefs, which of course now are called heresies. Um, but at the time it was just, you know, this was sort of an influx, um, idea. The the church spent a long time trying to figure out, as we mentioned in the last episode, like what percentages are, is, you know, Jesus, God and or human, is it 50, 50, is it 80, 20, is it, uh, you know, we landed on a hundred, a hundred, but before we got there, um, and in some cases, even after that, um, people continued to think about this. So there are different sort of, oh, I guess we can call them heresies. Uh, or just other views about the incarnation. So we should probably talk about those. Well, and, and I'll just say before we get going on those, that the, the view that most of us on the show probably take is, is what would be deemed heresy as well. You know, so if you go as far as someone like Richard Rohr, another friend of the show, and he would say the incarnation is everything. So I, I, that would be, that would be landing you in heresy as well. So just to throw that out there. Yeah. Cause I think Richard Rohr's panentheism idea, right? Is the idea that the, the, the first incarnation was in the beginning, God said, <laughs> and then right. when he creates everything that that's an incarnation of God, right? And that everything's an incarnation of God, which is just, uh, I don't even, I don't guess that's not on our list necessarily, but that's definitely one that we should add to the list. I, I wonder if the incarnation is like the culmination of the God experience. In other words, God is out here in the void of nothingness and he speaks something and creates everything. But then his crowning achievement is to actually be able to experience his own creation from the standpoint of the created. And and so I, I, I wonder sometimes if the incarnation is like the it's the ultimate expression of divinity that 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 divinity gets the experience of three dimensional life the all of the experiences of three dimensional life and then also three dimensional death 
And then the proof of the divinity by the resurrection. I don't know. I, it just... Yeah, what's fascinating about that, I, I totally... I'm leaning way more in that direction, too. It's this idea, like, because God is not separate from creation, right? So to have the view that I, I was raised with, this evangelical view, it's like God is separate, God is high and lifted up in spiritual kingdom, some fluffy spiritual realm somewhere, that's where God is. And the rest of us are in this dirty little messy physical realm that he created, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's this separation between the physical created, you know, matter and energy and then the spiritual realm where God lives. Versus, I think, what we're talking about, which is that, no, God God expresses God's self in all of creation, and that that's not separate from God. That's part of who God is, what it means to be God. And we are all, then, uh, incarnations, everything, not just people. Ev- everything is an incarnation of God. Maybe at different levels. I mean, you know, a carrot is probably a different level of an incarnation of God than, you know, a giraffe or a dolphin or us. But it doesn't mean they're not. They're not, they're not separate from God. Yeah, I won't even say it's a higher or lower incarnation. It's just another, a yeah. different one. But, you know, you, you almost had me preaching a Baptist close there, man, when you said high and lifted up. He's yeah, high and lifted up. I was tuning <laughs> up. I'm sorry. I do feel the organ music swelling behind yeah. me with that. Yeah. But the, um, so I feel like we're getting super metaphysical in a way that's, it makes me so happy. Woo-woo. I know, yes, the woo-woo is high here. But the, uh, you know, at, at its heart, I believe that Christianity and Judaism too are very earthy religions. They're, they're very fleshy. Like we cannot escape the body of, of Christ and that the body of Christ suffered uh, and the body of Christ resurrected into this new form. Um, and that sometimes I feel like we, or I, I should only speak for myself here, like I kind of evade that because it can be very uncomfortable. But this idea that the incarnation is omnipresent, that the world, the universe, this kind of 3D reality that we're in um, is an expression of the incarnation. I think this can be tied really closely to care for the earth and helping us shift away from dominion over to steward of, which is, you know, which many, many Christians have that, um, I see this dividing line and in the eighties and in the eighties, Christian evangelicals, um, participated in destruction of the environment because of this, uh, dominion of, dominion of, and then this even ties into like ideas about eschatology and apocalypse and like Jesus is coming so soon. So why do we need to take care of, take care of the earth? So I feel like this idea of incarnation is so important because it ties all of these things together and makes us very present to the here and now. Not a not a distant or not distant potential future. I'm just so I'm just really glad that that all that view of dominionism and Christians, you know, trashing the earth and all that stuff. I'm glad that all ended in the 80s because that was that was really lame. Yeah, problem solved now, right? Yeah, I'm glad it's over now. No one thinks that way anymore. Yeah, give give me some ham where I am in the sour here <laughs> now instead of some pie in the sky and sweet by and by. <laughs> Hallelujah! I just I just love that that um, totally resonates with me, Katie. It, it goes back to my whole thing on if you're going to have theology of anything, if it's not beneficial and practical now. Chuck it, boom, and just like if if it doesn't if it doesn't bring healing if it doesn't bring you closer to the moment the now everything around you and see that's that's to me why 
when Jesus is completely other, I, I think we miss so much of life. We're waiting for Jesus. We're looking to Jesus. We're not like having real relationships with our, with ourselves first and foremost, but with each other and with the, with the planet. That sounds like some hippie shit, but it, Ooh, it's way more. Man. It, it, it's way. Uh, you're not going to get me all the way to the woo woo yet. Woo-woo. I'll be the, I'll be the yeah, last yeah, hold out. You you were wooing, man. You all you needed okay. was a second woo. Well, then I I, I, I can woo, but I'll never woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so good. Um, and just just because I don't want it to go too much farther along before we address these things, uh, we, we can spend as little or as much time as we want on these. But I think it's important for our listeners to know that when it comes to the incarnation, that there are other historical Christian slash heretical um, beliefs that, that you know, popped up oh, throughout church history that are, you know, other than the one that we all know. Um, and so there's one, one of the views is adoptionism. Um, and I think we did talk about this already a little bit. Um, but, you know, the idea that God adopted Jesus as the Christ, the idea that Jesus became the Christ at his resurrection or that he became the Christ at, or his uh, baptism. at sometimes they say at his baptism. Yes, when the spirit, the, the, the dove uh, comes and sits on him and says, you know, this is my son, blah, blah, blah. So that's a, that's a different idea. Um, another one is docetism, the idea that Jesus' physical body was an illusion. And also, by the way, the, the crucifixion also didn't really happen. And that he was pure spirit and that he only pretended to die. Can we, can we stop there for just a second? Sure. I feel as if, even though this is an official heresy, I feel as if most Christians are still there. Because... <laughs> You know, yeah. when you talk, if you talk yeah. about, did Jesus have sex? Did Jesus have urges? Did Jesus take a shit? Did Jesus get sick? It's he like body odor. Did he burn? They, they, yeah. they might say yes, but really it's like they act as if Jesus is yeah. a docetic Jesus. And I yep. just want to throw that out there because it Good drives point. me fucking bananas. That's yeah. right. He pisseth against the wall. Yeah. You know what? That, that's, that would be the most refreshing thing. I have not been watching this chosen miniseries about Jesus, but I mean, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it would be, it would be really refreshing if like in some movie or show about Jesus, if he would like burp and fart and piss and take a dump and just like, oh, and for the disciples to go, Oh, Jesus, you just ripped one. Wait a minute. What, what, what about, what about that, that the Willem Dafoe, um, Yes, Jesus the movie. Last Temptation of Christ. Last yes. Temptation of Christ. It's like people lost their shit over that. That's right. And and, and, and the reality is, I mean, think about it. If, if Jesus, if, this is what the Bible says, that he was tempted in all ways. Yes. That means that 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 Jesus had to, Jesus had to look at a woman and say, holy crap. Boy, <laughs> oy, 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 oy. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, th- there was man. something going on. Or a man. Or a man. Or a man. I mean, come on, let's keep it real. That, yeah. that, that um, you know, that the Jesus, Jesus had engaged. That's right. Or a bi. We don't know. So, the, I, Matt, I think it's interesting. I like, I've never, I wouldn't have thought about it that most Christians still sort of have a docetic sort of anthropology of who Jesus is, mm-hmm. but that makes a lot of sense. But the, um, what I want to speak to. I think that's the prevailing view. Yeah, I know. I think, I mean, it is, but like, I think if, if they came down, if we, if it came down to like on, you have to check box A or checks B, was Jesus a spirit? Most people would say no. Right. But the perception of like how Jesus lives. They would say he had a physical body, but then they would say that he, his nature was basically right. yeah. inhuman. So it's a very Gnostic view. And I find people in my crowds are fascinated with Gnostic, uh, Gnosticism in general, but this is my major. I mean, there's a lot about Gnostic 
sort of philosophy that I think is appealing. But this is my major problem with it. It's very anti-body. Yes. I, that's very that's my anti-body. It's very anti-incarnation. And I love bodies. Yeah, I, that's my thing too. Yeah. I think the uh, that, that idea that spirit is good and holy, flesh is evil and uh, base or whatever. Uh, or sinful, whatever. Like, yeah, nope, I reject that part of it. I like all the other stuff <laughs> in a lot of the other Gnostic Gospels, but not that part. If, if if flesh was so bad, right, what was the point in God becoming flesh? Why did he create if, flesh in the first place? Well, yeah. doesn't, doesn't, exactly. he doesn't. <laughs> but that's but true. <laughs> again, he inhabits this flesh. So, so there, there's something, there's something there, right? This, this experience, this understanding what, I mean, what does wine taste like? What does the breeze hitting my face feel like? What does the sun rising on my face feel like? What does the kiss feel like? What does the hug feel like? You know, I mean, there's so much there. And, and, and I think that to dismiss the whole physical ex- experience, I think really does a whole disservice to the whole concept of incarnation. Well, because congratulations, it, Derek. You're an Orthodox Christian of yes. the first oh, God century. Damn God damn it. <laughs> they would doing? agree with you. <laughs> oh. Hold on. Let me top off my wine. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, hold on. So, um, I mean, yeah. Uh, can we can we run down the list a little bit yeah, here? Yeah, let's uh, go some more. The next one. I'm just going to move on. Because it gets so granular. It's, it's almost humorous to me, like the kind of arguments that these councils were having? Well, I think what the the funny things though, we're going to go down the list here, but I mean, the thing that you should notice is like people were genuinely confused by this. They were trying to make sense of this whole thing. So anyway, uh, Arianism is is the denial that Jesus is consubstantial with the father, but instead believes that he is similar in substance. Um, So it basically it's a denial of the the classic sort of Trinitarian view, right? That, right. Um, Right. It sounds so ivory towerish to me, though. Yes. <laughs> oh, it is. It? These are yeah, yeah. These are bishops who are gathering and they're vigorously debating with each other. Yeah. About the yeah. like the, these details, but they're also bringing together this like very dense Greek philosophy and applying it to their Christian faith. And so I think a lot of this is like we see. I mean, it's you kind of have to imagine you're looking at a PowerPoint chart that's like very dense and has way too many words on a slide. And a lot yeah. of bullet points. Well, all chart. of these, all of yeah. these views, <clears throat> the incarnation uh, as we understand it, but but also all these other views as well. Uh, I think what they're all wrestling with. I mean, they wouldn't even be wrestling with anything like this at all if it wasn't sort of like the you know the initial idea that Jesus was God, the deity of of Christ, the deity, or the sort of like the God connection between the, between Jesus and God, right? And so. Um, it's, it's that concept, the idea that Jesus is God or, you know, it's trying to figure out, well, then how could that be? Right. How could this happen? Whereas if, if, if they took the view that, well, no, Jesus was just, um, he was a, a wise teacher and a, a rabbi and he had some really great insights and he really understood some important things that are really, we should think about them and follow them. Um, then the, none of these things would ever even have come up. Right. But it's because, well, wait a minute, if Jesus is supposed to be God, that we need to make, we need to figure this out. We need to map this, uh, put it on a chart and a graph somehow and answer this question because it, it, it boggles our brains. We can't make sense of it, right? You know, the whole thing is like, make, make it fit. That, that, that was, that was what, and, and, and this is the thing that, that I think I, when people ask me, they say, who is Jesus to you now? I say, Jesus is a guy who basically had his natural 
and his supernatural shit together. That he understood who he was naturally as a man, tempted in all ways, experiencing all experiences, but at the same time, fully embracing his divinity. And I really believe that Jesus presented himself as a prototype or a template for what humanity should be, that we should fully embrace our divinity, that we should fully embrace our our place in the Godhead. But at the same time, that we're tied to our earthiness, tied to our fleshiness, and and that all of these things are not necessarily bad. So to, uh, to Katie's point about Gnosticism, that Gnosticism is naturally earthy, fleshly, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, that, that, because in, 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 the, in the framework of theology, Gnosticism has been cast off to this corner and, and been d- diminished as something, you know, mildly irrelevant, right? Well, Gnosticism would deny the fleshiness. Oh, well, Jesus. yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, that, Gnosticism true would say like, right. it was all spirit, right? So that's my you're actually right. critique yeah, of Gnosticism. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, no, you're right. You're right, Katie. Does someone want to explain Neostorianism? Because <clears throat> honestly, this is the first time I've oh seen this Oh my gosh, I read this, I read about this heresy for like 20 minutes and I thought, what in the hell is this talking about? So I'm going to read, I'm, I'm quoting Wikipedia here, y'all, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, and this is like the most simple version I could find. I've never heard this um, in my life. This, is, so you know. this is out of my uh, century. Okay. Uh, Jesus is the natural union between the flesh and the word. And this heresy challenged the title Theoticus, which means God bearer. And it was a title that was given to Mary. Now that one I do know and I think is interesting um, because this heres- this quote unquote heresy thought that the title Theoticus, God-bearer of Mary, denied Christ's full humanity. And so if Mary bears God rather than the Son, uh, then Jesus' full humanity isn't, uh, isn't, isn't as embraced. So I, maybe we're all Neostorianisms-ist? I don't know. Um, Neostorianisms? But Jesus is, uh, had two persons within him, the divine logos and the human Jesus. So it's, I don't, so I don't know. I, I don't quite fully um, understand the whole anger of this heresy, but there we go. But based on what you just said, I would, yeah, I'd be like, what's wrong with that? That sounds good to me. So you are, a, after all these years, you really are a, heres- a heretic, hey. Keith. Your detractors are correct. I think I really am. Wait a minute. God damn it. Hold on. The, the, the Keith is a heretic and I'm an Orthodox Christian. Are you fucking kidding me? What is happening on this show? Oh my God. What is going on? Well, I mean, I just want to say, like, to me, this is one of the problems, though. Derek, Derek alluded to it a second ago. It's this idea that all these things are true of Jesus, but only of Jesus, rather than saying that they're, that, that I think even that Jesus was trying to say, these are true of these things are true of me, but they're therefore true of you. And I think this is actually something that is consistently communicated throughout the Gospels and even the epistles uh, in the New Testament. The idea that because it's true of Jesus, it's true of you, and it's not Jesus as some separate, special kind of you know unique little snowflake, but like all, everyone is this way. Like all the things that we can see in Jesus, we're supposed to say, ah, because it's true of Jesus, it's also true of us, and. That seems to be the thing that's we've lost. I feel like um, this idea that 
it isn't just Jesus. Like it's that idea, like we've worshiped Jesus and, and held Jesus up as, again, some special thing, some special, you know, human slash God in the flesh that we, we don't see that we're supposed to be the incarnation of Christ. Well. Can, can I get wormhole ourselves back to those councils and present our case? I would love to do that. First, Why I don't we just cha- channel Latin them for Greek another one of our ancient heretics of the week bits and we uh, can bring them here? That is so coming up with one of the later challengers. It's, it's almost there. All right. The final heresy, I mean, there's probably more, but these are some of the kind of interesting ones, is um, Sabellianism, the belief that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three characterizations of God rather than three persons in one God. I have to say, this one appeals to me because I have a confession. I'm not a Trinitarian in the classical sense. So is it more like a oneness like a oneness theolo- theology, right? I think it's not quite oneness, and I'm, no, not a, um, I'm not an expert at all on Sibelianism. What I know about it, I just said. Um, but okay. the idea. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know anything other than that, really. T.D. Jakes wants you. I will, I'll do my best. Uh, but I, I don't think it's quite oneness in the same way that like Pentecostal oneness today, where Jesus is God. Right. But that Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are all three expressions of one personality one being maybe it's non-theistic not sure i yeah this one i think again like who cares what's the difference what's the (laughs) i mean if you say god is three persons or three characterizations of the same thing i mean you are splitting such fine hairs i have to i have to hit this button here and go god who the hell cares exactly thank you peter This, I think it does become important when we're talking about, not particularly important to me, but important to people. um, How much does Jesus know? Does Jesus have full, like if if you believe that God knows every future event, which I do not believe that, but if one does believe that, that the future is written in stone and God is unfolding our kind of human history plan, then it becomes important in that does Jesus know that? uh, Does the Holy Spirit know that? Is that reserved for God alone? Yeah, well, isn't the idea that Jesus limited himself? I mean, uh, this is falling back on my evangelical days of apologetics, of trying to explain the Trinity, right? Well, Jesus limited himself in his physical incarnation from his omniscience and omnipotence and all those kind of things. Um, so in, in his physical body, Jesus would not have known all things. That's why he said things like, uh, only the Father knows, I, you know, I don't know, only the Father knows kind of a thing. Yeah, that's that's just to me. That's like a very limited way of talking about what it means to know. Like you can talk about knowing facts, but does that mean you know? I mean, so 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 think of like riding a bike. You know how to ride a bike not by reading facts about it or a physics book. You you know how to ride a bike by experiencing that. So it's just, I, I think Jesus knew. Um, everything he needed to know eventually as he experienced it. And, and I think he knew himself. I think going, you know, to Derek's point, like he, he knew about himself and, and his relationship to the divine in a way that is both unique and not unique to Jesus. I think the Buddha knew himself and knew everything the Buddha needed to know as well. I would say folks like Rumi probably knew uh, himself in the same sort of way. So maybe I'm Baha'i going back to Rain's uh, <laughs> uh, conversation. And, and, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, maybe every 500 years, someone who really truly knows thyself, to use the King James, uh, you know, comes around. And, and um, the last one to come around was obviously Calvin, and we're just waiting for another one. Oh, yeah, glass, uh, exactly. Now, I'd love your analogy, too, because it's sort of like the difference between, it's, it's the, um, just to give you another analogy, it's sort of the difference between um, saying that you, you know about sex because you read a book called the Kuma Sutra. Um, I mean, did you read the book or did you do it? Because until you've actually done those things, reading the book will not really help you. Right. It's an, I mean, it's a, it's an epistemology that begins with, um, tacit knowledge. It's, it's, um, uh, phenomenal, phenomenologically yes. driven. Like you have to experience it first to truly know it. Right. And is it tacit or is it explicit? That's the question. Yeah. Well, all of this discussion anyway about trying to sort of, like you said, split hairs between, you know, Jesus' divinity and his humanity and how much and blah, blah, blah. And uh, is it all these different things? It it does reach, I could definitely reach the point of like, who cares? Because truthfully, I don't care which of these you come up with and and you land on. We were talking about a God. We're talking about the creator of the universe. We're talking about a being that sort of by definition should be beyond understanding and, and comprehension. And yet the more we act like we figured it out and we've got this all, whole thing wrapped up and, you know, and we can sort of graph it and chart it and all that kind of stuff. I just feel like, really? I mean, maybe I don't, I think no matter what you come up with, you'd have to say, I think or I believe, but we don't really understand these things. I mean, the best we can do is just sort of say, this is what makes sense for me. And it doesn't matter if anybody else, you know, agrees with that or not. I mean, whatever. That's just my take on it. Well, this is you, the the hair splitting that took place. So these are all, you know, pretty ancient heresies in the first couple of centuries. And I'm putting heresies in big quotes. Everyone knows that, right? But the... uh they couldn't agree on it either. And so this was also part of like the development of creeds, like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, so they could have sort of specific statements of belief that needed to be in in union. But they also couldn't believe, they couldn't agree how divine Jesus really was or how human Jesus really was. And that's where you get the statement that Jesus is 100% human and 100% divine, which doesn't make any kind of physical sense, but they just kind of agree to disagree by smushing all those together. Yes, they were very no, good at math. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that it actually makes perfect sense because this is where I land these days. I'm 100% human and 100% divine. Right. I, I love it. that your orthodoxy is shining even more. God damn oh it. my God. Again. <laughs> this is a joyous day. We have rain. <laughs> and you're ruining my, you're ruining my reputation. Orthodox. The day that Derek was determined to be orthodox. (laughs) So I'm dying to talk about at least one later challenger, which was um, Servetus. Um, And Derek pleasantly channeled Servetus. Yes. A former former guest of the show, correct? Former guest of the show. show. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's like, I don't, Derek. I don't know if you know anything about this because um, you enlightened me about this uh, this person. I didn't know much about him before you you uh, told us about him. But he, so what what century? He's in the sixteenth century. Sixteenth, yeah, with, with Johnny, yeah. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny C. Yeah, with Johnny yeah, C. Yeah. Johnny C. With, yeah, the big J C. So, um, oh, that works on two levels, and I just. Well, he's the big <laughs> 
That's what you ask. Yes. Let, let most Christians tell it. He's the big Jason. But Servetus <laughs> was, a, it sounds like he denied Trinitarianism and he saw Jesus as an abstract logos, but not an eternal being. And that kind of blew my mind that someone in the 16th century would be um, saying that. I'm like, oh yeah, he he don't want, he did get burned at the stake in this yeah. uh, time of religious. That, that was the thing that, that, um, that got him into trouble with Calvin. Okay. Was his stand on, on um, anti Trinitarianism? Yeah. I guess what, what troubles me, I mean, the whole thing is about Servetus troubles, troubles me, but just the idea of like, why can't Christians just sit and talk about this? Like, why is it so scandalous that someone has to be put to death because they introduce the idea of, hey, you know, guys, I'm wondering if, you know, Jesus was actually an abstract logos, but not an eternal being. Like, can't we just talk about that? And, 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 and if Servetus believes it, Okay, so like I don't understand why. I mean, I guess I do understand in a way they there are these gatekeepers that feel like they have to protect the purity of the faith, and we can't let false teaching, you know, creep in because down the road it'll become you know some cultic heretical thing, and so we've got to have we need to fight for the purity of our faith. I know that's what leads to these kinds of you know people being put to death over this nonsense, but it's just frustrating to me. I guess I'm glad I live in a time when. We can have a podcast and we, we can talk about these things and we will not be burned at the stake. Wait, do we uh, burn questions, so. but not people? Burning questions, but not people. That's right. We can burn books too. Hey, that's actually on our website. Go to hereticapiar.com. It says right there at the top. That did not deserve the sad little horn. At all. I'm, I'm, I'm new to producing, guys. Um, <laughs> okay. No, to Keith's point, I mean, it, it. this may be too reductive, but... Uh, people like Augustine and even Thomas Aquinas have said things like heretics murder the soul and we only murder the body or we only kill the body. And because it's, it's a belief in eternal hell and you're, and, and if you don't have the correct beliefs, you're leading others to the, down the road of perdition. And so, so it's almost like this really sick trolley problem where, <laughs> where we're going to, cut off the heretics and kill them because we're saving X amount of people, however many people they're influencing. And I know that's not true of all Christians, but throughout history, some of the world's, you know, Christianity's greatest philosophers and theologians have said things like this because of a belief in hell. And I'm sure in people's like Calvin's mind that they're doing the right thing. That's what's scary. That's what's scary. It's not a matter of saving anybody. These people are all bent on control. It, basically, there 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 were a, a bunch of people who were involved in controlling the narrative, because by controlling the narrative, they were able to control the people, and that was the big thing. It, it wasn't. It had nothing to do with whether or not something was right or not. It was like whether or not this was something that would lead to the acquiescence of control. Yeah, I, I think we see both. I mean, I, yeah, control. I mean, obviously. Not, I don't know that's obvious, but yeah, I agree with you, Derek. There is um, a lot of that, right? So if you can capture, sort of capture people's ideas, um, theologically, spiritually, it's, um, it's, a, it's a great mechanism for uh, social control and for power. But in some of these early heresies too, I think we're seeing genuine debate of ideas um, in the councils. Like they, they're, they're honestly debating. Like they honestly have really, really different opinions. They get really granular about it um, in ways that we tend not to care about today. As all four of us have kind of said, like, yeah, does it matter if it's consubstantial or not? Um, but it did. I mean, it mattered to them. It, and they were, they were talking about ideas. And I'm like, I'm not sure. And I just don't know enough about it. But like, does that benefit anyone in control ways. I mean, definitely, it definitely affects the creeds, you know, what gets, um, what gets put in a creed and then what Christians say on, 
you know, as a proclamation of faith. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think the, the the debates were about control, but but when you when you say you have to believe this or else, that's when it comes yeah. to the control. Yeah, exactly. yeah. the way it gets well, used after, yeah, yeah. because yeah. because it's about defining Christianity. It's like saying Christianity is blank, and it's what we say it is. And if you suggest it's something else, then, well, you know, <laughs> that's not cool. To the stake with you. Yeah. Well, and of course, I'm in now a non-creedal tradition, so I don't do any of that. That's good. No creeds. No creeds, especially the band. <laughs> anyway, with that, <laughs> have, have we solved this? Did it take, do, we, we don't need a third we, part, do we? We really we're, have. We're ready I, to move on. We have done it. Well, this has been, um, it's hard to rank my favorite episodes, but I, I as such an Office fan, again, Rain Wilson, thank you for coming on the show. I hope everyone enjoyed uh, rain as much as we did. Before we sign off, though, I want to remind everyone that we have a website. It is heretichappyhour.com. We have a bookstore. Check out those books, please. Hit the tab on top that says shop. Check out all of our merch. And of course, all of the podcast episodes are on there. So if you need to catch up, go find an episode. Give it a listen. Tell us what you think. Y'all heard the great questions that were being asked in Heresy After Hours. It is, again, our free Facebook group open to everyone. Uh, Come join. Talk about the virgin birth uh, with us. Talk about whether Mary uh, had consent or agency. Uh, We would love to hear from you. Great conversations happen there. Heresy After Hours. Yes, we'd also like to know what you think about uh, if she had a magical hoo-ha or not. And um, hoo-ha. All hoo-ha's are magical. That's oh, really true. Wow, T-shirts, pillows coming soon. Uh, anyway, yes. Also, if you uh, if you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and um, who doesn't? Uh, you know what? You could do us all a really wonderful. You know, give us a Christmas gift, and by the way, give yourself a Christmas gift by going to patreon.com slash Heretic Happy Hour and uh, becoming a patron and a supporter financially of your favorite podcast. And when you do so, you will unlock so many wonderful gifts for yourself: um, bonus footage, bonus. Uh, podcast episodes, bonus, uh, interview conversations with some of our heretics of the week. It's a truly phenomenal and beautiful thing. And you should go over there and check it out. And if you already support us, mwah, we love you. Thank you so very much for all your support. You guys are the best. And if you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, uh, and you give us five stars on uh, on iTunes, uh, I promise uh, that you too will be uh, hung high, uh, spread wide, pierced uh, aside, <laughs> and then on the third day, uh, on the third day, uh, yeah. I say, on the third day, you too will be incarnated. Mm-hmm. I just went to church. Pass the plate. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that beautiful, uh, you were channeling your old, uh, your pastoral self there. I know. You miss it? Yeah, I, I I was, I was, I, I need to get my, 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 my cloth, you know. You need a handkerchief. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Pass the plate again. Not enough came in. That's right. I love that. <laughs> well.